Equanimity is the topic for the week. And equanimity is a factor of the seven factors of awakening, the seventh factor. And it's a beam, a support structure that we develop and helps support the function of the of enlightenment. So it leads to enlightenment. The seven factors of enlightenment lead to enlightenment. And each of them have to be developed, cultivated, strengthened. Just run them through for those who are forgetful about what they might be. Mindfulness is the first. Investigation of Dhamma, Dhamma Vichayo, is the second. Energy is the third. Joy is the fourth. Tranquility or pasadi is the fifth. Samadhi is the sixth. And the seventh is upeka. So these are an extraordinary group of factors as a handful to help you understand what does the Buddha mean by the enlightened mind. You should investigate the qualities that are comprised in these seven factors of enlightenment. So, there are, compared to the roof beams of a house, apparently in India at the time, they constructed uh, roofs in the same way that we do today. The audience watching the video cannot see these beams, but the audience watching me right now can see the beams. And so you put up a bunch of beams to support the roof. And of course, at first you have to get those beams and you have to make sure they're strong enough, etc., and suitable. And then you put them up and then the roof is attached to them. And in some ways they support the roof, but in another way they are the roof. So when we look up to those beams, they're not just supporting the roof, they are the roof. So what happens is that seven factors of enlightenment are important to understand so that you can begin to develop the factors that lead to enlightenment. And when you arrive at enlightenment, even full enlightenment, the mind of the arahant, those factors will be steady states. They will com- they will comprise the mind of the arahant. So if you want to know what the mind of the arahant... Does, does an arahant have joy? Yes. Does an arahant have samadhi? Yes. Energy? Yes. Equanimity? Yes. Does, do they have mindfulness? Do they re- still require mindfulness? Or is mindfulness just something that gets you there? No, they, they, they have mindfulness and they continue to practice mindfulness an investigation of Dhamma. Even though they've arrived at the far shore, they still manifest and engage with the seven factors of enlightenment. What is absent in the mind of the enlightened is the uh, the, the higher stages of enlightenment. The, the hindrances are no longer there. The roots of the hindrances, the samyojanas, have been uprooted 
And so they're no longer in a, uh, in a kind of battle with themselves. They're no longer contesting with themselves. A lot of energy is released because you're not having to switch back and forth between your multiple personalities. Notice that you have multiple personalities that though you make a resolution today to not eat chocolate, tomorrow somebody else decides that you're going to eat chocolate after all. (laughs) The next day, there's a very angry person who's quite angry at that person who ate the chocolate when you told him not to eat the chocolate, etc. So I guess they're not really... They're sequential uh, personalities. They're not really coexisting. They're not there at the same time. They're sequential. It's a little like the difference between polygamy, married to a whole bunch of people at the same time, and serial divorce. (laughs) It's more like that. So... um, these factors are comprising the mind, and they're, they're no longer opposed. So the, the negative aspects are, have ceased. And, and so these factors are very robust, and they, they go by themselves. So they're second nature to the arahant. They're no longer something that is reversible. And equanimity is one of those that's no longer reversible. But it's very interesting to look at them there. The first four have activity and energy and the vivacious kind of qualities of joy in them. So we would call that the active side of the, of the enlightenment factors. The last three, which are serenity, samadhi, concentration, and upeka, equanimity, are of the passive side. They're resultants, and they are very serene. Um, When I talk, and sometimes I give whole retreats on the seven factors of enlightenment, I make sure you understand that the order of of the factors is also quite important to the practice of them. You have to detect in yourself when you are uh, low on energy. And if you're low on energy, then serenity, samadhi, and, and equanimity are not the factors that you need to be cultivating at that time. You, know, you need to go back to the other column and infuse yourself with more mindfulness, investigation, energy, and joy. So those factors, you're having to be aware of what is present in you. The factor of uh, stagnation, sloth, or sleepiness, dullness, is, um, is, of course, a hindrance and but it may not be all that strong. You have to detect it in yourself. And if you are doing samadhi practices at that time, you might persist at it for a while. But if it continues, then you will switch your attention to the cultivation of the first four of the enlightenment factors. 
Notice that this is similar to the. It's it's really a kind of a mag, uh, the last three factors of the eightfold path under a magnifying glass. So the last three factors are right effort, which is uh, the injunction to stir up energy at the at the end of each of the four right efforts, there's an injunction by the Buddha to stir up energy. So very active. And to uh, to strive to overcome the hindrances, the negative elements, which are the first two right efforts to overcome them and and, uh, prevent their re-arising. And then the last two are to stir up and the positive elements of the mind at the wholesome elements and to maintain that and deepen that. And if they're not present or you haven't tried something, such as going to a retreat and uh, moving towards samadhi, then that's the injunction to endeavor to do that under right effort. You should, if you haven't experienced it, you should strive to experience it. Then mindfulness, which is also, of course, the first of the factors of awakening. And this goes to right uh, concentration, samadhi, which is the sixth factor of the seven factors. So all it is is kind of a purified and uh, exploded diagram of the last three factors of the Eightfold Path, the seven factors. And you see this upeka coinciding with the last factor of samadhi, um, which is equanimity. We talked about it last night, how equanimity is the, is the purified nature of the fourth jhana. The equanimity that we find in the seven factors of enlightenment, though, is not under the category of samadhi. Samadhi is mentioned as the sixth factor, and then the seventh factor is equanimity. So it's a combination of... of Two things. It's it's the resultant of samadhi, and it's also the resultant of wisdom, and all of the other basic higher path factors. All of the other six factors of enlightenment go into the quality of this equanimity as the seventh factor of enlightenment. Mindfulness and energy have purified the mind of the hindrances. And then you're allowed to experience tranquility and the deep stillness of samadhi and the after effect, which is equanimity, which you can either decide to walk around with or to abide in deep, profound stillness. The Buddha himself uh, would take time to abide in the deeper states of jhana and in profound stillness equanimity and, of course, maintained equanimity in his dealings with people. So this is not something that once you're enlightened that you are abandoning 
you are continuing to practice and maintain these things and abide in them. So it's as in a preliminary form, we're attempting to experience them. And that's why I say to people when they when we're in meditation, not to just that this practice is not simply a matter of uh, observing mindfully whatever is, but to make effort to raise joy, energy, and samadhi. And this is the cultivation of the actual awakening factors. They have natural resultants. So the Buddha talks about samadhi and uh, upeka. And not to concern oneself about necessarily interfering with it by reflection, but that one who cultivates samadhi, the there is no need to wish may vision arise, may vipassana arise, or may wisdom arise. Wisdom naturally rises and swells out of samadhi stillness. It's a natural you're basically clearing away the obstructions to wisdom. And if you have heard Dhamma, though this relies on the fact that you've heard Dhamma, Dhamma is, and you've investigated Dhamma, remember the second factor of awakening is the investigation of Dhamma, you've turned it over in your mind, you know, everything's impermanent, unsatisfactory, Without, without substance, you've turned that over, you thought about it, how suffering arises, all this stuff, you think about it, you hear these talks again and again, you process them. Sometimes they tend to, they, you don't feel that, that they really transform you, but, um, and sometimes they do, but part of the reason for that they're not experienced with power, the power to undo um, certain ingrained emo- uh, habits in you is that you haven't cultivated enough samadhi. Samadhi weakens and, in fact, suppresses the hindrances for a period of time. They're not active. And you're actually experiencing what the Buddha calls temporary nirvana, temporary nibbana. So in the midst of temporary nibbana, it's very likely that you've set yourself up right on the edge of realizations. So this is how this works. So the idea that you just simply have to get on with the work, that samadhi is a kind of a holiday, and you've got to get back to your homework doing your Vipassana studies, um, is not necessarily how it's presented in the suttas. This preliminary... um, and very pleasant endeavor to cultivate the samadhi and equanimity is is very important to the awakening of wisdom. So this uh, upeka is a quality that the the arahant has and 
But you do not need to wait until you're an arahant to have this. And so one should cultivate it in life. And it is a natural byproduct of the endeavor to cultivate samadhi as well. One of the the suttas that we chanted a few days ago for Bruce and Karen is a traditional chant for people who are ill. And it is the chant, the Bojanga Sutta, which means the Seven Factors of Enlightenment Sutta. So it's very interesting. When uh, I went to Thailand in the early 90s, Ajahn Chah was still alive, but he was very sick. He was in a wheelchair, had to be fed with a tube down his, through the nose and had six monks looking after him all the time. And uh, We would go over there once a week from the International Forest Monastery over to Wat Papong and they would bring him out and we would chant for him. So we did this every week for a couple of years on the Wan Pras, the uh, half moon and uh, full moons. And, and what we would chant, one of the major ones was this Bojanga Parita, this seven factors of enlightenment. And what that is, it says that when the Buddha was sick and also when Moggallana was and Kashapa were sick, they, uh, the Buddha suggests they recite these uh, bojangas to them. Somebody recite the, the bojangas, the seven factors of enlightenment to them. And uh, they recover from their sickness, having heard, having heard the seven factors of enlightenment. So it's, a very, it's called a healing parita. Now, I'm not sure how much healing it does when you don't understand what's being chanted. But notice the people of that particular sutta who were responded to that, that recovered from their illness very rapidly, were actually arahants already. So they must have come to the arahant stage through the seven factors of awakening. And the very recollection of that is so uplifting. This, it's the source of all of their liberation. Their, their true health in life was attained through the seven factors of enlightenment. So we can understand maybe that as a healing chant for ourselves. If the, uh, we should, It's not just something that you hear chanted in Pali and not know the meaning of, but you inquire deeply into the these seven factors and the practice of them. And then as you practice these things, you will be brought to health. Your illnesses will be relieved because our primary illnesses are confusion and the results of misunderstandings, our internal, our emotional illness which the ordinary person walking around is in a state of what we would call illness. Uh, you're, if you're not enlightened, you're slightly or significantly ill in some ways. 
you have a misunderstanding about nature of reality, and it's just a matter of time till there's just a significant conflict, emotional distress. And so the way to health is through these seven factors of enlightenment. And as you practice them and even recall them as just this pure, beautiful, lucid, psychological uh, therapy, really. If you have some experience of it, if you've worked with it, the very recollection of it can be uplifting and healing. And also the possibility of upeka, equanimity, in the midst of this world, as you get dragged into things and you recall, even in the midst of difficult situations where you're caught three ways from Friday, uh, you recall that upeka is possible and that the Buddha insisted that it's, that it's possible in at any time, in any place. It's not something that is subject to conditions. It's possible to find balance. This is something that, to remember when you get dragged into things and lost and emotionally in turmoil, that however hard it is to understand at the moment, it is possible to be in this very situation that you are in that is causing you distress and not be distressed. Upeka is possible. Equanimity is possible. And it is not something that is removed in under certain circumstances. It's unconditionally possible, and it's possible to be healthy in the midst of illness. And the Buddha talks about that in the, in the Dhammapada, that one can be well amongst the sick. So just masses and masses of people who are occasionally well, but often very sick. And amongst this mass of sickness, you can move with health, with well-being. Not just the health of the body. But in the sutta, it's very interesting that the, they actually are suffering from some sort of physical ailment because they are arhats, so they're not just depressed or <laughs> they're not. They're not. It's an unemotional condition that they have. They're not distressed in any way, but they have this. They have a physical ailment, and the actual recollection of this is enough to lift that physical ailment. So that's something to uh, explore, even with physical ailments, is that if you imbibe some very uplifting reflections and practices, you may restore the immune system or whatever, whatever the mechanism is through, this, through the uplifting of the mind. Uh, certain bodily illnesses can be overcome. I think psychology knows this. They're what's called psychosomatic. And, and what isn't psychosomatic? It's hard to say. But many things that we thought were not psychosomatic turn out to be psychosomatic.
So we've spent an entire week circling around and exploring upeka, equanimity, and you see how many ways it's useful, how many ways it shows up in the teachings. It shows up as one of the ten perfections to be cultivated. The perfections uh, of character, upeka is one of them. And it shows up in the four sublime abidings. It's the fourth one. Shows up as the fourth jhana, the deepest state of concentration. And it shows up in the seven factors of enlightenment as the seventh. So you see this incredible meaning and value of that. It shows up as a healing process. So it's one of the crown jewels of the entire teaching. And uh, it deserves a a whole one-week retreat on it. So I'm actually very glad that uh, Ajahn Sudanto asked me to give a whole retreat on Upeka. And so I did. (laughs) 